you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll be in chapter number 12. If you haven't noticed, chapter number 12 is the last chapter of the book of Daniel, and we should be able to finish that tonight. It's only a few verses. Uh, been really neat going through an in-depth, in-depth study of Daniel, and uh, if we do head off into Revelation from 1 Peter... Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, and Jude, and Revelation. Then uh, we'll have a good introduction into what John wants to teach us. I kind of, when we studied Revelation, I think it was about, I guess it's been about six or seven years ago. Uh, I said then we probably should study Daniel along with it. We did go back to the Olivet Discourse, and maybe we should have done that when we were in Daniel. We we quoted it a few times, but but the books really kind of go hand in hand, and so uh, uh, Daniel. I think is is a little easier uh, to study because a lot of the prophecies in Daniel have been fulfilled, and in Revelation, uh, none of those prophecies have been fulfilled yet, and so so uh, everything is symbolic, and it's hard to figure out. Whereas Daniel, a lot of these things have already taken place, and so uh, we we uh, we can get a, a more precise interpretation. But anyway, the last time that we looked at Daniel. We were in chapter 11, and if you remember in verse number 35, we got a clue there as to what the rest of this book was going to be about, especially what the rest of chapter 11 was going to be about, because he spoke about the end time. So we knew then that uh, the character that he was going to talk about, and he goes back to this and to the end time in, in, in chapter 12 at the beginning of the chapter, but the character that he was going to talk about was none other than the this one world leader, the Antichrist, the little horn of Daniel chapter number seven. So uh, uh, when we come to chapter 12, verse number one, he's going to pick up actually sometimes having a chapter there really, uh, they're not in the original text. They really kind of confuse things because I don't think there needs to be a chapter break right there because you see the very first phrase in verse number one, it says at that time. So he's speaking of the same time that Daniel was, that he was speaking about, or the angel speaking of the same time in the first part of chapter 12 as he was speaking about in the last part of chapter number 11. And so he says at that time, let's read the verse, verse number, chapter 12, verse number one, at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So this is a specific prophecy, whereas we, it's been focused on the Antichrist up until chapter 12. It's going to focus on the nation of Israel now, what happens to them in the end time. And we know that, it, that in the end time, that Michael's going to stand up for them, the great, prince, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Now that's interesting because we know there from that passage and elsewhere that Michael was kind of like the patron angel of Israel. He's still the patron angel of Israel. Wouldn't it be cool if Netanyahu was in his office one day and Michael came in and said, hey, you got a strong army, but it's really not your army that's defending you. It's me. I'm in charge of the armies of heaven, and we're the ones that are keeping all these armies at bay. But that's who's keeping them at bay, and that's who's protecting Israel until these horrific events take place. And, and we come to the end time, and, and things are going to get really bad for Israel. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of, of your people, 
and there shall be a time of trouble such as never such as never was since there was a nation, uh, even to that time. And at that time, your people, now who's he speaking of when he says your people? He's speaking of the Israelites, shall be delivered. Now that sounds a lot like what Paul says over in Romans chapter 11, I believe it is, verse number 26. Remember, remember that's, that really kind of mysterious statement he makes? He says, all of Israel will be saved. And we kind of debated that back when we were in Romans. What does he mean by all of Israel? Because in the Greek, all means what? It means all. Well, every in the Hebrew means every. But he says, and that at that time, your people, the Israelites, shall be delivered. Everyone will be delivered. But there's a catch to it, isn't there? Look at the catch. And I think maybe that helps us interpret Romans eleven twenty six. Everyone who is found written in the book. Now, what book is he talking about there? He's talking about the book of life, that book that was written before the foundation of the world. Everyone whose name is written in that book, they're going to make it during this time. And Michael's going to come in and he's going to he's going to stand up for them. Now, it's really kind of troubling there about the description of the great tribulation. It says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never such as never was since there was a nation. I mean, this is going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. What's the name of that time? It's, it's given a name a couple of places elsewhere in Scripture. What's, what's it called? The, the time of Jacob's trouble over Jeremiah 30, uh, over in Matthew and all of that discourse. It speaks of the time of Jacob's trouble. And what do we call that? We call that the Great Tribulation. And it's going to be worse than any other time in history. The Holocaust by the Nazis uh, isn't going to even uh, compare to how bad this is going to be for the Jews. Actually, Zechariah over in, in chapter number 13 tells us exactly how many Jews are going to be killed during this great tribulation. Two thirds of all the Jews will be killed during the great tribulation. Only one third of the Jews will survive. Which ones are going to survive? Those who are written in his book, those who are written in the uh, book of life. When were they? When was it written in the book of life? Before the foundation of the world. Whose names are in the book? Those whom God chose. Who did he choose? Those whom he foreknew would choose him. Well, how did he foreknew they would choose him? Because their names were written in the book of life. And, and it's, it's that perfect circle of paradox there between choice and an election that we, we saw for the church when we were looking in 1 Peter last week, uh, this past Sunday. All right, now go with me to verse number two. He says in verse number two, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So during, at that time, there's going to be a resurrection of those who sleep, some will res be resurrected to everlasting life and some will be resurrected to everlasting destruction or everlasting contempt. Now here's where you run into a little bit of a problem because when you look at it in Revelation, when is the resurrection of the dead? There's actually two resurrections in there. There's the first resurrection that comes at the, at the advent of Jesus Christ at his second coming and that's the resurrection of the church and of the saints 
And then there's a resurrection that takes place at the end of the millennium. And that's the resurrection of the wicked where they go before the white throne judgment seats and they're sentenced to everlasting hell and they're thrown into the fiery furnace with the beast and the antichrist and, and the devil and his angels at that point. That happens at the end of the millennium. So it seems to maybe contradict that, uh, contradict what we're told in Revelation, but, but actually it doesn't. Uh, one of the things about Old Testament prophecy, and you've seen it before, if you've studied any Old Testament prophecy, we've seen it in Daniel. Sometimes there will be a series of events that will be discussed in a particular verse or in a particular passage. And there's no timetable given for those events. And, and there could be event, event A and event B, and there can be a thousand years or two thousand years between those events. For example, you remember when we looked at Daniel's 70 weeks, you remember what happened at the end of uh, the, the first 69 of those weeks? The Messiah was cut off. Okay, and then there's the last week, the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, how many years are in between? Those events are spoken of, if you go back to that passage in Daniel, they're spoken of as if they take place simultaneously. But actually there's a gap there of some 2,000 years or more between those two events. So the prophet can speak of something, you know, it can be side by side or, or in sequential order, and actually there'd be a time gap between that. So I really think that what he's referring to is the resurrection of the dead that takes place at the advent of Christ. And then you have the millennium, which he doesn't give us those time, that time gap. And then you have the second resurrection of the dead, uh, which is the resurrection of the wicked. And and, and that's what we're taught elsewhere in Scripture, so we have to line that up. All right, but let me say this. God can resurrect anybody anytime he gets ready to. And there can be all sorts of resurrections. I mean, take, for example, you remember what happened when the veil was torn in two, when Jesus died and gave up his spirit and said it is finished and the veil was torn in two? What happened? There was a resurrection of Old Testament saints in Jerusalem. Many Old Testament saints were were raised from the dead at that point. So God can raise, raise up somebody anytime he chooses. So, so there might be a resurrection that maybe some Old Testament saints, might be the tribulation saints are raised at this time. Uh, we can't be sure because we're not given a timetable for this. But we are sure that there is a resurrection of the dead. Now, let me address one other issue here. It says many of those who sleep those who believe in soul sleep use this passage as proof that when someone dies, they go to sleep. But again, you've got to put that in the context of the rest of the Bible. Is that really what happens? Go back to the rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man died, did he go to sleep? No, he went straight into Hades, didn't he? When Lazarus died, did he go to sleep? No, he went straight into Hades. Did he have a body? Well, he laid in Abraham's bosom and you have a bosom, you got to have a body. And so he laid in Abraham's bosom. Look at Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. We know that he died and that he was buried and somehow he was raised from the dead because he stood with Elijah. Now, you could say Elijah, you can understand Elijah being there because he didn't die. He was taken up straight to heaven. But Moses did die and yet he was resurrected and stood there with Elijah. 
And, and remember what Jesus said about death. He said, those who, who believe in me, he says in, in John chapter 11, shall never die. So what, so what does he mean when Daniel, you will sleep? I, I don't believe Daniel's in his grave sleeping right now. I don't believe that at all. I believe Daniel, just like God is not the God of the, living, of the dead, he's the God of the living. And I believe Daniel's walking around somewhere. I don't know where. What the reason that term's used, it's an anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic term, and it's used for our benefit. Here on earth, when somebody's put in a, in a box and buried in the ground, to us, they've gone away. Just like, you know, if, if your spouse is laying next to you and she goes to sleep, you've lost contact with your spouse. And from our standpoint, those who are dead are asleep. We don't have contact with them. But I don't believe in soul sleep. What's Paul say? To be absent from the body is what? To be present from the Lord. He also says, uh, when we see him, we will not be found naked. We will not be found without a body. And so, again, I don't believe in soul sleep, and, and I don't think you can take that passage there and make a case for it anyway. But, but let's go to verse number three. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a great promise right there. You know, if you're wise during these difficult times, if you're wise during the times leading up to the great tribulation, then you will shine like the brightness of the firmament. Those who are wise, those who can understand these prophecies, and again, we're going to see here in just a minute, these prophecies were sealed up for, for I believe, for our time. I believe they were sealed up for us. We live in the times when these events are starting to happen. We live in the times where we're getting very close to the return of the Lord. And those who are wise, those who see that, and look at these prophecies and study these prophecies and realize that we're very close to that time and they give their life to the Lord, they're going to shine forever with, with the glory of the Lord. They're going to be glorified. And that's what he's saying right there. But two things, prophecy should do two things for us. It shouldn't just lead us to the Lord. I mean, that's one of the things prophecy is used for, to lead people to the Lord, to make people wise to make them wise in the times in which they live. That's one of the things prophecy is for. But it's also what prophecy should do. It should motivate us to serve God. I mean, if, if all, I get bothered a little bit by people who don't do anything but study prophecy. And they sit around and they think, wow, man, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. You know, and I'm just going to study until it happens. And I'm going to prepare my bunker and I'm going to get ready for the second coming of the Lord. No, it should motivate us to serve the Lord. It should motivate us to lead many people to righteousness. And where do we find righteousness? In Jesus Christ. And so, so he says here, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness, hey, you're going to be a superstar forever and ever. And, and that, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. You don't have to be a preacher to do that. We're going to be looking at First Peter in First Peter this week, and he's going to talk about, you know, uh, since God has done everything He's done for us, then we're to be holy as He is holy. 
And I think if we make that choice to be holy in this world, we can't help but be the kind of witness that God wants us to be. We can't help but lead people to Jesus Christ. Now, we might not be the one who shares the gospel with them and get the, and, and the ones who get them to say the center prayer, but we're planting seeds. I mean, you plant seeds by your life. You plant seeds by your words. And so, hey, you want to shine forever and ever? You want to be a superstar in the kingdom of God? Then turn many to righteousness. And then he says in verse number four, he says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words. Shut up and seal, seal the book until the end of the time. Many shall go run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, I know you've heard, if you ever listen to any of these prophecy guys, this is one of the verses they use to prove that we're at end times. They believe that what the angel meant by this when he spoke these words to Daniel, Daniel was that one day when, when everybody's running to and fro really fast and they're riding in jets and they're riding in cars, you know you're at the end time. Uh, when knowledge is really increasing and there's computers and supercomputers and all the things we see, then you know you're at the end time. Now, I certainly believe we're at the end times. But I don't think that's what he was saying to Daniel at all. I think what he was saying to Daniel was this. Shut up the words, Daniel, and seal the book until the time of the end. Because you're not going to understand it. It's not going to make sense to you. And you're going to go to your grave not understanding it, so don't fret over it. Seal the book in your mind and seal the book up because it's not applicable to you or to your times. And so, you know, what you needed, the reason you were given this prophecy was so that you would be encouraged that God is on his throne and everything's going to work out in the end. But you're not going to understand it. So seal the book and then many shall go to and fro. Many people will be born on this earth. Many people will die on this earth. Uh, there will be all sorts of activity for many more years. It's, this is not going to happen in your lifetime. And that's what he's saying right there. Many will go to and fro. And knowledge shall increase. The more, what he's saying by that is, the more we approach the date of the coming of the Lord, the more these prophecies make sense to us. They don't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they won't make sense to you, Daniel. But the more and more that we get close to the coming of the Lord, the more knowledge about these prophecies shall increase. The more prophecy begins to make sense. That's what he's saying. I mean, we talked about the Russian bear when I believe we were in, was it chapter 9 or chapter 7, whenever that was. We talked about the bear and how Russia, man, that makes sense now, doesn't it? I mean, Russia, Russia calls themselves the bear. They call their planes the bear. The nation is, is totally immersed in, in the symbolism of the bear. And so it makes a lot of sense now. Knowledge has increased and that makes, that makes sense to us. I mean, an army coming from the east, uh, from the Orient with 200 million soldiers, would that have made any sense to Daniel? There weren't 200 million people on the earth at that time. Or if there were, that was about it. And so an army of 200 million, that doesn't make any sense. So what he's saying is, as knowledge increases, as we approach the time of the end, then we're going to be more in a position to understand these prophecies. And, and 
man, I'll tell you what, the way you see things lining up right now, you start fitting, you, t you take them and you throw them into the puzzles of these prophecies and, they, and, and you get another piece of the puzzle and all of a sudden you're starting to see the whole picture and you're starting to see that it's about to transpire. That this, these prophecies, the, 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 the promises in these prophecies are about to take place. We're not far at all. We might be 100 years away, we might be 200 years away, but we're not much past that. And we might be just that close to the coming of the Lord for his church. Verse number five, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there was stood two others, one on the river bank and the other on, that, on the other side of the river, is really what he's saying there. So he sees two more angelic beings, one on one side of the river and one on the other side of the river. He's seen the Lord. He's seen another angel who's been giving him this prophecy. And now there's two other angels. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall be the fulfillment? How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? All of these signs and wonders that you've been prophesying about, how long will the fulfillment of these wonders be? And he's really talking about the great tribulation and the coming of the Lord and the, uh, the, the uh, saving of, by Michael of the, the remnant of Israel. That's what he's talking about. These are the wonders. And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters when he held up his right hand and he swears to heaven and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it will be for time, times, and a half time. How long is that? Three and a half years. Time, one year. Times, two years. And a half time, a half year. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So Daniel sees these two angels. One of them asked the angel that's been giving him the vision. How, how, They've all been listening to all of this. So they say, how long is this going to take place once it starts? And he tells them three and a half years. But he tells them something else there. Do you notice what he says? It, it really interesting. He says, and, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. All these things shall be finished. Why is there a great tribulation? Why is there a time of Jacob's trouble? To shatter the will of Israel. In order that, that their selfish pride and their self-reliance is broken. I don't believe there's a country in the world that has more pride than Israel. I don't believe there's a of people in the world that have more pride than the Jews. That's what, that's what killed Jesus the first time. So he's not coming back until that will is shattered, until that pride is shattered. And they're going to have to go through some really difficult times for that to happen. There, there's, there's, I spoke about this last week. There's some people who believe that Israel will be standing tall as a nation and and their army will be standing tall and their army goes out at Armageddon and battles all the armies of the world. I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I think they're going to get shattered. I think at some point, I think you want to really see you're close is when the will of Israel is, begins to be shattered. I don't think we'll be here when that happens. Because it's the Antichrist we saw last week who will make this peace covenant with Israel and then he'll break that in the middle and then he's going to come after the people of Israel. 
And that's what Jesus speaks up. He said, remember what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, then flee into the mountains. Because at that time, Israel's going down. And, and two thirds of the Israelites, we know from Zechariah 13, are going to be killed. And only a third are going to be left. So if you want to be one of the ones that left, first of all, you need to be chosen before the foundation of the world. But you better flee. You better not stay there. and You better not be prideful or you're going to die. You see how the wisdom increasing if 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 the Jews were reading these prophecies and seeing these things happen and they were in these things. And I believe the remnant will be and knowledge increases. Then they will know to flee. They'll know that Israel's going down. And then it says in verse, is eight, verse 8 and 9, it says, Although I heard, I did not understand. Man, you talk about one of the wisest men who ever walked this earth. One of the most spirit-filled men who ever walked this earth. And li listen to his conclusion of the whole matter. Although I heard, I did not understand. But Daniel's an inquisitive guy. I mean, you got to remember, how did he get this prophecy? I mean, he was fasting and praying for 21 days. And so I mean, he was wanting some answers to what's going on with Israel. And so he's a real inquisitive guy. And, and now he's gotten all of this information now for two chapters. We've three chapters we've seen. We've been in this vision for three chapters. He's gotten all of this information. And what's his conclusion of the matter? Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? What's going to really, what's all this mean? What's going to happen to Israel? It sounds really bad for Israel to me. And the angel says to him, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. These words will not make any sense until the time of the end. You want something exciting, something maybe a little scary? Uh, these words do make sense now. The fact they do make sense might mean very well that we're heading right towards the end. But God's got purposes in all of this, Daniel. He says in verse number 10, many shall be purified, made white and refined. How are people purified, made white and refined? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Who are the wise? We saw that a while. Who are the wise? Those whose names are written in the book of life. Those who were chosen in in him before the foundation of the world. They're the wise. They're going to understand. These prophecies are going to make sense to them. And it's going to change their lives. And they're going to want to be holy because God is holy. And they're going to want to do great and mighty feats for the Lord. They're going to want to serve the Lord. They're going to want to lead many people to righteousness. But the wicked, what are the wicked going to do? They're going to get more and more wicked. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? It certainly teaches it right here in Daniel. Paul certainly teaches that. Isn't that exactly what's happening in the world today? That the wicked are getting more and more wicked? Man, that's, that's exactly what's happening in our country. I mean, wickedness is becoming the, the, the norm. The things that are Evil are called good, and things that are good are called evil. The name of Jesus Christ being trampled under the, under, under the wicked in this country. And I believe God's going to have to shake things up to get people off the fence because there's really this distinction now between good and evil. 
And there's so many in the church that are lukewarm and are sitting there in the middle kind of just straddling in the world and one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the church, one foot in the kingdom of God. And, and I think God's going to have to shake us up. I think he's going to have to shake us up so that we're purified and made white and refined so that we're made holy and we make ourselves holy. Holiness is, is something God does. We'll talk about it Sunday, but it's something that God does, but it's also a choice. And something's going to have to shake us up to, to get us to get out of our worldliness. But the wicked, the wicked are going to get more and more wicked. But this shaking that God's going to do, and I'm, we might be right in the process of it right, right now with this infiltration of these Muslim terrorists in our country and all over the world, there's going to be a shaking. And people are going to be forced to get off the fence. And they're going to have to get serious about Jesus Christ. They're headed right into utter darkness with the rest of the world. It's going to, it's going to become clearer and clearer, but it's going to become darker and darker. Because most of the people who are sitting on the fence are going to be pushed over to the side of wickedness. Who won't be pushed over the side of the wickedness? Those whose names are written in the book of life. Whose names are written in the book of life? Those who choose Jesus Christ. So anybody can, can, can get off the fence and go, go to the, the, the right way, but, but most won't. Most won't. Now, just when you think you've got some of this stuff figured out, God throws a monkey wrench right in the middle of the prophecy. Look at verse number 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, that's the abomination of desolations, right? And Well, we get it right there. And the abomination of desolation is set up where the Antichrist declares himself to be God. There shall be 1,290 days. Anybody got a calculator on them? Multiply 360, which is the Jewish calendar, times three and a half years. And this is the number you'll see anywhere else in Scripture. What number do you come up with? 1,260 days. What are the other 30 days for? What are the other 30 days for? Don't, don't answer because you're not going to be able to give me the right answer. And then you want... He's not done throwing in monkey wrenches into the prophecy. Look at verse number 12. Blessed who waits and comes to 1,335 days. So he adds another 45 days. So we're 75 days past the end of the great tribulation. What's all of this about? What's all of it about? Why the difference? And there's all sorts of theories. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me real carefully. You won't hear me say this very often. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anybody knows. You know, this is one of those prophecies we won't know until it's fulfilled. Now, John, uh, I forget his last name, Valvord, Valvord, in his commentary, it's a great commentary on Daniel. I've been using it throughout and he gives every view on the on each verse and and so you so you so you get a good uh feel as to to what other people how other people are interpreting this but i guess his guess is as good as anybody's he believes that those 75 days are a time when the earth is purified and a time when 
the nations are judged. You remember there is a judgment. There is another judgment besides the great throne, white throne judgment. There is a, nut, a judgment besides the Bema Seat judgment where we will be given rewards. The Bema Seat judgment takes place, I think, during the, the seven years of, of the Great Tribulation when we're raptured and we're taken up to heaven and the Bema Seat judgment takes place. But we're not, we can't be sure about that. But the Bema Seat judgment could take place during this time. We, the earth has gone through the great tribulation, so it's going to be a mess. And I mean, I know God can speak things into existence by his word. I don't know he'll do it like that. He might use human hands to, to fix things and human minds and human effort to fix things. I, mean, I don't know. And maybe that's part of the time period where all this mess is partially cleaned up. Uh, it could be the time when the judge, as I mentioned earlier, when the nations are judged. Remember how the goats are separated from the sheep. It could be a time when, when uh, the assignments are given to the church. Where, we're gonna, where, where are you going to be ruling and reigning? You know, if you're a child of God, you're promised that we'll be kings and priests in the Lord. And we'll rule and reign with, with him forever, and especially during the great... I mean, during the, the millennium. And so, did I say great tribulation earlier? I meant the millennium. As, as we go into the millennium. We go into millennium, there's these 75 days beyond the three and a half years. The millennium begins at the end of the great tribulation, but there's these 75 days. So we don't know. I, th I just think it's more of a getting the house in order, getting ready for the millennium. And everybody that makes it to that 13th, uh, in, to the 1,335th day will be blessed. If you're there then, you will be blessed. You will be greatly blessed. The nations that were on this earth, the ones who survived the Great Tribulation, those that make it to that 1,335th day, they will be greatly blessed, even though they won't be saved at that point and they won't be they won't be like you and me. They won't be part of the church. They will be blessed because we're going to go into a time like, his, like never has been seen on this earth before. Maybe, maybe Adam and Eve had a taste of it, but we're going to go into the most blessed period of history, a time of rest, that seventh year of rest, the millennial, 6,000 years of, of mankind having his way and 1,000 years of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this earth. And he finishes up and he says, but you go your way, Daniel, for you shall rest and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. At the end of the 1,335th day, Daniel will be there. You think maybe God's going to use Daniel? I mean, he advised Nebuchadnezzar he advised Darius the Mede, these leaders of these great empires. You think maybe he's got some experience? He certainly has some experience. You think maybe he was loyal to the Lord? You think maybe he led many people to righteousness? You better believe he did. You might work for Daniel. Daniel might work for you. We don't know. You know what? If you're there, you'll get to see Daniel. Daniel's alive and kicking right now. You don't get to see him right now, but he's alive and well wherever he's at. 
in heaven or maybe walking this earth somewhere. Maybe he was one of the Old Testament saints that was raised from the grave when, when uh, the veil was ripped and the graves were open. You don't know. We don't know. But anyway, the good news is we finished the book of Daniel. We, we did it. I'm excited. Uh, but what, you know, what a great book. And what's really neat about this book is what we've seen tonight. It was written for those people. It was sealed after Daniel's day. And I think it's been pretty much sealed up until the 20, 20th century. And now the 21st century. I think it's really written for us. Man, it makes a lot of sense. Would, have, would any of this made sense to, to Martin Luther when, when, when you got the Antichrist coming into the glorious land, coming into Israel? There was no Israel when Martin Luther was alive. You've seen the birth of Israel. All of these things now have become realities and possibilities. I, mean, I talked about the 200 billion man army. China's got that right now. I mean, these coalitions that are being formed, everything is trying to lead us to a one world government. You get a Supreme Court with that liberal, total liberal bias, and I'm going to tell you what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to make us part of the European Union. I mean, we're heading, the things that are predicted in the Bible are, are, are you can read about them in the news. The church. Paul speaks of the church heading into apostasy. You think maybe the church is heading into apostasy? It certainly is. And the world seems to be heading into utter chaos. And so this book makes a lot of sense. You know what's good about it, though? I see things happening. I see a guy leading the polls in the United States of America who is a casino owner. You know, I mean, I mean, the guy, I mean, I don't, I don't want to judge him, but I mean, that's, he's leading the polls. If it's not him, it'll be Hillary Clinton or, or Sanders. Sanders is a communist, a, a, a socialist. Communist is what he is. You know, I, I, I see those kind of things and I say, Lord, Why? Daniel tells me why. He tells me that we're heading into trouble. Expect this world to head into trouble. That's the way God planned these last days, that we would head into trouble. But the good news is that during that trouble, many are going to be purified. And the wise are going to make it through. The wise are going to get, the real, really wise are going to get raptured out of here. And Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to rule and reign forever. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Pretty exciting stuff. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the book of Daniel and what you've taught us and uh, these great prophecies here. And, and Lord, just the encouragement that we find in really dark times, dark times in our nation, dark times in this world, Lord. I, I don't know that the end is at hand and, I, and, and maybe there's a revival uh, in the horizon for this nation. Wouldn't that be wonderful, Lord? We pray for that. 
But Lord, if we are heading towards the end, we can look up and be encouraged because we know that, that you've planned all of this out before the foundation of the world and it's going to work out exactly like you want it to work out. And it's going to work out for our good in a way beyond anything we can possibly imagine. Lord, we, again, we just thank you for, for the grace we have through Jesus Christ, how you've made us wise by your Holy Spirit, how you chose us in him uh, to believe, Lord, how you gave us our faith and that we could see the importance of his blood covering us and how you've made us, us holy by his blood. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.